Testing, testing, one, two, three. It smells like pickles, one, no. two, three. <laughs> Rise and shine. Stop. <laughs> Wait, I what? think I do the rise and shine. No, last time you tried, you were like, we're gonna, rise and shine. No, we're gonna, no, because you wouldn't let me talk at my full volume. Okay, try it again then. Rise you and know, shine. <laughs> Why do you say it? Because like you, take, you take a huge breath right before you do it. But you say it the way that like a butler would say it. You're like, rise and shine. No, I don't. Rise and shine. <laughs> Okay, can I say it? I, talk, I say it with your shrill voice. <laughs> Rise and shine, bitches. Welcome back to another episode of Just a Quick Finch. I'm your host, Connie Wang. I wanted to make today a video, but Jimmy didn't want to make it a video because, A, he's shirtless and he wanted to stay shirtless. So yes. you guys have to sit with that visual now. And unless you want me to be a Burt Kreischer of Just a Quick Finch Maybe podcast. Maybe people like that. If you guys know Burt Kreischer, he's like one of our favorite comedians. He always performs shirtless. Um, but then also we switched our sides. Normally I'm on the left and he's on the right. When it comes we to... We gotta plug you um, in, girl. I know. Can you grab my charger? I think it's on the side of the island. A little behind the scenes for everyone. <laughs> you just made the noisiest turn ever in the chair. You like hit every fiber on that chair. <laughs> All right, you guys. Today is actually a very exciting day because in a couple hours, Jimmy will be performing his stand-up comedy set for his stand-up comedy class. It's their like final performance. How do you feel? Um, like I need to get through recording this so, <laughs> so I can, that you can go. I, I have more panic time. Well, this will be good so you can rehearse your uh, your humor, your comedy chops, if you will. I think it'll be good for you. I have lines to memorize. <laughs> I feel like literally like Jimmy is like my high school son and he's going to be in a play and I'm like, "Oh, I hope he remembers all his lines." But anyway, so today we are here to solve three of your burning questions. Three pinchers wrote in. I'm excited. These are all three awesome questions. So, Let's get started off. Did you want to share a chief complaint or are you not into that today? My chief complaint is that my work orientation is taking forever. I don't know. When you're first starting a job, you kind of want to prove yourself and stuff. And I feel like I'm just kind of in a position where I'm just taking in all this information and I can't do much other than that right now. Well, don't you worry because the rest of your job will be proving yourself. I know. And you're going to look back on this time and be like, why was I so worried about proving myself? Why couldn't I just sit back and enjoy it? At that, work. That actually has been a complaint before. People are like, I'm used to being busy and now I'm in a place of not being busy and I don't know how to handle that. Remember that one? Yeah. I've already I answered that yeah. one. Yeah. So it's kind of like that. It was just more like you, normally when you're at work, you're using your brain and everything. I feel like I'm just not using my brain right now. Well, I think reading about your uh, Constantinople and Byzantinian books will do it. Is that... I yeah did you see my post I posted on my Instagram about how um how you know I want to decorate our apartment like my favorite coffee shop and Jimmy wants to decorate our apartment like Constantinople so yeah. let's just hope TJ Maxx has that aisle okay <laughs> I, I don't know if they have a Constantinople aisle a coffee shop in Constantinople aisle <laughs> I mean Constantinople technically hasn't truly existed Okay, wait, we cannot go down this route. Let's get started with the Since cheap complaints. 1930, when the Turkish Republic was Thank born. Thank you, Jamie. Uh, okay, so first question of the week. How to deal with mean nurses slash faculty? So I think this can apply to any profession, really. How to deal with mean attendings, mean, you know, mean people that oversee you, basically. And my answer is cry. <laughs> No. Well, I mean, like, I really have cried a lot at school before. Um, here's the thing. 
I think there's different levels of mean faculty. There's the faculties that are mean because they like want you to do better and stuff. But I'm assuming this is like the other end of the spectrum, which is mean faculty that just seem like they hate their lives and that they want to drag you down with them. Um, and we've all been there. We've all interacted with people like that. I think it's easy to allow someone being mean to you to like seep in and affect how you treat them. But I think the best thing to do, don't allow them to see that their meanness is affecting you because that's what they want. They want their, they want to create some kind of reaction out of you exactly. that makes them feel better about themselves. And you don't want to stoop to their level. Yeah. Well, yeah, you don't want to be mean back and stoop to their level, but you also just don't want to give them the satisfaction of getting a rise out of you or anything like that so i think the best thing to do is just to unless it's like really really bad and then you might need to get someone involved because you don't yeah. deserve to be harassed so in pharmacy school we learned about how pain is very like additive as mm -hmm. in like the second you start to feel pain it's easier to feel more pain right so mm -hmm. that's why when you take pain medications you want to get ahead of the pain instead of chasing the pain i feel like <laughs> Being insulted by mean people, it's kind of similar. It really snowballs. I think that if you, like, let them get to you, like, one time, then every time you see them, you're going to interpret whatever they say, whatever they do, as more insults. When really, like, it, I mean, it could be, you know, insulting. It could be mean or whatever. But every time they hit you, they're going to keep hitting kind of that same wound. And then that's mm -hmm. going to create more of a reaction, right? I don't know. I'm a little distracted by the pickle smell in the apartment oh right my now. God. Someone, I like the smell of pickles. Someone left a pickle jar open that didn't... I don't think there were pickles left, right? No, I finished all the pickles. Okay, empty pickle jar except for the juice just sitting out. When I walked home, for, came in from work today, whole apartment smelled like pickles. Okay, so something to keep in mind, like one of my favorite quotes when it comes to mean people, mm -hmm. usually when people are being mean, they're making me feel like inferior in some sense, right? Right. They're like putting me down. One of my favorite quotes from The Princess Diaries, which is really from Eleanor Roosevelt, is that no one can make you feel inferior without your consent. So mm -hmm. I think that when faculty are mean, it hits us harder because faculty and like higher ups or like maybe even coworkers or things like that, they're especially like the higher ups, they're in positions almost of like power. So it's almost feels like when they're mean to us, it just, it stings a little more. It hurts a little more because it's like, you're supposed to be the one that's helping me. Like, how can you like do this to me? Yeah. Um, so I think the biggest thing that I've learned in clinic, there's definitely professors that have their bad days and take it out on us. I mean, that's just the fact of like how school is. I just try to avoid them like the plague. I literally will like walk around, whistle. I'll tell my patient like, you know what? I'm going to go find the good faculty that we really like. And they, they're like, okay, take as long as you want. Cause like, you know. And then I will, like, roam around until I find, like, one that I really want to work with um, versus the ones that are really mean. It's a lot of times it's a pattern, you know, like it's a standard. So if you can try to work with someone that you gel a little bit better with, mm -hmm. because just taking yourself out of that situation of being in their wrath, I feel like that will do you a lot of good. <laughs> Just mm -hmm. like take, like removing yourself yeah. from a situation, not giving them a chance to even penetrate your little bubble. Right? right. And then if they do penetrate your bubble, just don't take things personally because it's probably not you. Mm -hmm. It's either they're having a bad day and you got to put yourself in their shoes and maybe... Yeah, there's something else going on that we just don't know about. Sometimes, though, people are just, like, miserable. Like, they're yeah, having no, faculty that just, like, too. they actively try not to help you and to get in the way. And the thing is, that might be true. They might be trying to get in your way or they might not be trying. The point is that whether or not you think they're trying to hurt you, you're correct. So if you think that they're trying to hurt you, then 
Correct. They have hurt you. If you don't think of it as them trying to hurt you, then they can't hurt you. Mm-hmm. There's like some kind of age old. St- oh, say, did, did you read it in the book? It's it's uh, it's from the book. The obstacle is the way. And the quote is like, think you will be harmed and you will be harmed. Think mm-hmm. you can't be harmed and you can't be harmed. I think also when people are really mean to you, they kind of make you question everything, right? Like mean people will make you question your self-worth. They make you question like if you're good enough. They make you question like if you're like worthy and all of that. And so when you have to interact with these people, let's say you can't help it, you have to interact with like this nurse, this faculty, whoever you're talking about. I think the most important thing is making sure that you're recovering from these interactions with this person by spending time with the ones that you love, that will support you, venting to the people that will uplift you and be like, yeah, you're right. Mm -hmm. Like you need your support system. If this person knocks you down 20%, that's all right. You got like other people in your life that really love you and adore you and they can bring you back up that 50%, you know? So it's kind of like make sure that net you're taking in more love and support from other people than you are criticism and hurt and all that. I just don't let the meanies win. You know, hang in there. I, I, I know, I honestly know what it feels like to be stuck working with like people that it feels like they don't have your best interests at heart and it feels like they're just spiteful and mean for no reason and bitter. Um, and that's the thing is every stage of life, everywhere you go, there's going to be people like that. And like, I hate it. I'm like, why can't people be like us? But the thing is like, it's not their job to be liked. It's really no one's job to be liked, but it's especially not their prerogative and job to be liked. So at the end of the day, just because they're not like chipper and happy and supportive and kind, like, like everyone says, we can't really control that. Right. So the only thing that you can control is your environment, the other lovely people that you surround yourself with. And I promise you, before you know it, you'll get out of the situation and you will never have to deal with them ever again. And then the next mean person. And then the next mean <laughs> But it's okay. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. But yeah. Anyways, moving on to question number two. Jimmy, would you like to read? How to handle discussing a mistake or oversight in your treatment planning with an attending. Ooh, so I really like this question because I think that something that we healthcare providers suck at is apologizing and like owning our mistakes sometimes. Like we're used to being the ones that always know the answer, always know what's right, right? And Mm -hmm. I think that it can be tough because, you know, like we don't want to be wrong because when we are wrong, people's lives are affected. And so we kind of feel this high stakes, like we always have to be right. Yeah. It's a big blow to our healthcare ego. It's 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 a blow to our if ego, and it we also we make a mistake. It's it's definitely a, a blow to our ego, but I think that it also is like a very real fear that you're messing up and like doing something wrong, right? Mm-hmm. Like to a, a affect your patient. I think the biggest thing is that you will be so much more impressive if you can own your mistakes and see where you went wrong and see how you can do better, your tending will be much more impressed by you than if you got the right answer to begin with. Mm-hmm. I promise you, because they know where we are. They, we don't really know that much, right? Like, yeah, they would love excellence. But at the end of the day, I think what shows more value is if you can own up to your mistakes and then like try to do better by it instead of like either covering it up or like pretending like you knew better, you know? Like, I, I think it's always go- better to go the route of saying like, you know what? So I must have missed that and I thought this instead and that's why I chose this. But now that I know this option, um, I would think that this is a better option. And like I, what I learned from the situation is this, this, and this. Mm-hmm. Um, I think another thing to keep in mind is like the difference between experts and amateurs, right? So our attendings and our faculties, let's consider them experts. They've seen it all. They know how things can go wrong. We are amateurs. So basically, we kind of only know a limited amount of how things can go wrong and mistakes that can be made. 
I think because we're amateurs, we tend to take mistakes much more personally and be like, oh, I'm so stupid. I'm so this. It's me, me, me. Like, I'm the problem. And that's why we're, it hurts and we're afraid to kind of admit when we're wrong. But these experts, these faculty, they know how, like, things happen. Things fall through. People make mistakes. They've seen it all. And so to them, making a mistake or an oversight in treatment planning is just another drop in the bucket. It's not really something to sweat about. It's small potatoes, you know, at, in big picture at the end of the day. So I think keep that in mind is that they really have seen it all and your one mistake, it's not the first time someone made that mistake and it's definitely not gonna be the last, so don't sweat it. Yeah, I would say the whole reason you're even, you have an attending in the first place is because mistakes can happen. Yeah, and you're in a place to learn. Right. Like the attending is there to catch your mistakes, so that's that's kind of the point. It's a, it's a safety check and you're just, you're still out there learning, you're not the expert yet, like Condi said. So you need to, uh, so it's, I, I think, handling mistakes with grace and understanding how the mistake happened and how you can prevent it from happening in the future are all just parts of growing as a healthcare professional. I can remember vividly from when I was in residency, I was leading a medication group with my attending pharmacist we don't call our our pharmacist attending, like, like a preceptor but she was my preceptor okay and i i think i said i forget what i said something that was inaccurate about narcan or was like wrong so i provided incorrect information to the patient to like a patient group got it okay uh, not realizing i think i was probably overly confident and kind of what I knew about the situation. Was she sitting there, like, watching you? She, Yeah, she was there with me. We were kind of leading it together. So she was, you know, kind of corrected it in the moment in a very nice way. She wasn't a, wasn't a mean preceptor, thank you. How, how did she say it? I forget. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> well, thank you for bringing this up. I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to give an anecdote, and you're okay. asking for details. That's I, not how anecdotes work. It's just how my brain works. Okay, go on. Sorry. <laughs> Uh, but then I think afterwards, like, she had a private conversation with me saying, like, oh, like, yeah, so, like, uh, like so you did this, at, like, which wasn't correct. Now how can we improve in the future? And I, th that moment really stuck with me of, okay, what I say is really important because what comes out of my mouth as the pharmacist, whether or not I'm an amateur or an expert, is going to carry a lot of weight with the end user of the patient. And everyone is going to make mistakes to err is human. Uh, unless we have automated robot dentists someday. That's horrifying. Uh, horrifying, yeah. You know what? Because then you're... That's that, like the matrix. That makes okay. you kind of useless. No, uh, not in that sense. In the sense that <laughs> if, if they mess up, they can really mess you up. <laughs> right, right. So I think it's, you know, making mistakes is all part of growth and you're not going to become the best version of yourself, best provider you can be unless you do make a couple mistakes along the way. So I think it's a, a great time to do that is when you have a safety net, like an attending while you're in school. I honestly can't stop thinking about that robot thing. Imagine you sit down for a filling and then you're like, I'm here for a filling. And the robot's like, no, you're not. You're getting a root canal today. You're like, what? No. And then it just like starts. Like, that's like horrifying. I'm sure they would have some safety check. I don't know. I like saw this report recently that like Elon Musk is begging people to stop with AI research. Mm -hmm. That you, Wait, you guys, fun fact is that my biggest fear is artificial intelligence and like robots taking over the world because they could really like imagine all of a sudden the robots are like screw humans and then they like make all the traffic lights mess up mm -hmm. and like just like they could we human civilization could end in like 30 seconds there's the no reason really to, to worry about something that's definitely going to happen <laughs> 
So <laughs> I just hope that in that case, I hope that like my laptop and my phone like feel like I treated them well enough, and maybe they'll help stick up for us. Mm-hmm. That would be a really cute movie. Is like a like the robot like technology turns against humans, and then one piece of technology decides to stick up for its human, and yeah. together they lead the race like the war against technology. All right. Well, why don't you work on writing Sorry. that? Uh, <laughs> not during our podcast episode. I think also like some helpful things is like by educating the patient on like all the different things that can go wrong that also helps the patient to understand like oh this is why they thought this because a lot of times patients are kind of like oh how could that doctor be so stupid and think i need this when instead it's this and so the more you educate your patient on like well no actually like there's a lot of crossover between and like a lot of gray area between how to choose what therapy then it kind of also saves you because then your patient understands like okay it's not a clear-cut a b c kind of answer like there's a realm of possibilities and yeah i think from the patient perspective like patient education will always go a long way with that yeah and if the patient's there when you you made a mistake or whatever i think most of the time if you are humble about it and kind of handle it and discuss it out with the attending yeah they're not gonna lose faith in you because they understand you're learning it's kind of like the whatever question we had i was actually just just thinking about that Uh, if they're at a student clinic yeah if you if you listen to my episode telling the person that was anxious about seeing patients how it's better to admit that you're new at this than to pretend like you're not because the patient knows they can smell fear and anxiety and mistakes from like a thousand miles away Mm -hmm. um so by being upfront and honest it's always better one thing i would always like to say is so this has happened to me multiple times when an attending corrects me and says i was incorrect um, once they leave the room, I always make them, I, I always make, make the joke to them. I'm like, yeah, okay. So I learned from that. Um, that's why they pay them the big bucks. <laughs> and I feel like just by being humble and admitting like, okay, that's why they're the real, den- they're the grown up dentist. I'm here to learn. The patient will see me on like a more human level. And they also kind of trust me more because they will always trust someone that's willing to admit their mistake and see mm-hmm. their mistake and own up to their mistake. than some robot, <laughs> how topical Then some robot that pretends like they're perfect and doesn't make mistakes that's the scariest thing and then does root canals when you need it to fill it the, the the key point to the moral of the story is that ai is terrifying anyways jimmy let's go on to question number three okay guys it still smells like pickles over here okay. you do not need to give a pickle update jesus <laughs> all right question number three how do i reduce anxiety while i'm on the wait list for med school I, I totally empathize. It's like really stressful. But here's something that I've always told people on the wait list that I really think does help is that there's a reason why they kept you on the wait list, right? It is so easy to reject people. Next, don't care, blah, blah, blah. Like it is so easy to reject an application because you know you have hundreds more, right? So the wait list, it actually can be kind of special. There's a reason these people kept you around in those pile of applications, there's a reason that they're holding on to you. There is just more that they want to see from you. And it's not over until you really decide that it's over, right? It's, it's never over until you decide it's over. Let's say even though you were, let's say even if you were rejected, it's not over. You can always apply next year, blah, blah, blah. But you, my friend, you are not in that position. The med, stu- the med schools that you apply to that put you on the wait list, they want more from you. They're waiting to see what you do next. And so this is actually an opportunity. This actually means that they probably like you, but they just need a little bit something more before they can fully accept you for whatever reason. We are not privy to that, right? Med schools and administration, there's a lot of, you know,
know things that we don't know about perhaps they're like okay we need we need a cutoff of like certain gpas or whatever perhaps like there's a lot behind the scenes that goes into acceptance more than just if someone is a qualified applicant honestly a lot of the requirements sometimes can be kind of stupid it's not dependent on how good of a doctor you're gonna be so first of all don't take being on the waitlist personally because it has no indication on what kind of a doctor you're going to be. Second of all, so like I said just previously, we have no idea why, you know, like what exactly, like why you were put on the waitlist, right? Or actually maybe, you know what, I think some people reach out to their schools and they ask why they were put on the waitlist and sometimes they do give an answer. So perhaps you could tactfully ask them that and kind of while giving a follow-up I know some people do like these follow-up letters of like hi I just want to re reiterate like my interest in your school I think it's a really great program because xx y and z I think I would fit in because of x y and z since I submitted my application uh here's what you missed uh fill them in on a little new things maybe something that can make your application seem more diverse and well-rounded something that if you think that your application was lacking in something before something impressive that can help boost that so yeah basically don't fret the waitlist is really not the end it's an opportunity to prove yourself and it's your foot is still in the door basically someone tried to close that door your foot is still keeping that door open so just find a way to encourage them and to um, just like show them what you're made of in those like follow-up letters. Everyone could end up stuck on the wait list, but also there's people that might get off. A lot the of people list. get off the wait Some list. Some people get off the wait list literally the day before yeah. class starts. That's kind of crazy and stressful. Yeah. But that's happened for people and that some of those people might be the best doctors out there. I actually interviewed one of the most successful cosmetic dentists in this space. Dr. Andy um, Jean Miro, she she had like a really compelling story about how she was put on the waitlist for her dream school and she called every single day to, she somehow found like the Dean of Admissions number and she called every single day leaving a message being like, hey, this is, this is, this week in school I learned about this. This week when I was shadowing I learned about this. And um, eventually what happened was like the Dean of Admissions picked up one day and told her stop calling me <laughs> so then she did stop calling but then what happened was like literally the day that she moved into the other school she got a call back from that dentist and that dentist was like you know what welcome in we're letting you in so you really never know it's like not over until we say it's over right so I think this person, there's a chance they probably already know all the hacks with waitlists, right? Like you can always Google like how to formulate a good waitlist letter, right? There's templates out there. You can follow those. I think the thing that we can really help with and what they were asking about is just navigating that like anxious feeling of being in limbo and like not knowing what to do with yourself. Because like all you want is answers. You're like, tell me yes or no. Like, are you rejecting me? Mm -hmm. Am I in? Like... Uh, we are people that just like answers and we want them now Yeah, as I, a society, as a healthcare profession group, you know? Yeah, I got a really good taste of that while I was applying you did. for my new job. How did you handle that? Um, <laughs> You're like difficult. I don't know. I just like played a lot of video games <laughs> and was just a shell of the man I know I can be. Um, there we go. But, that's the answer. Yeah, that's, yeah. Me. that's all you need to know. <laughs> Honestly, yeah, I think sometimes like you almost need to... Not like quite put yourself on autopilot, but mm. you just need to do things that you enjoy. So I feel like we as people, we like to be like us high achieving like healthcare people. We like to be go, 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 do, 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 achieve, 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 right? Um, and I think a lot of times, not all the time, but a lot of times that's because it kind of soothes us. It makes us feel better to feel like we're achieving things because 
we operate from a state of thinking like, if I am not achieving things, I am not successful. And if I'm not successful, then I'm in danger. I'm going to die. I'm going to be homeless. We've like discussed this before, right? So our automatic response is I have to keep myself busy to prevent feeling like a failure, to prevent feeling unsuccessful, to prevent feeling whatever difficult feelings you have going on in your personal life mm-hmm. or whatever's going on. I think the beauty of what limbo does is that it gives you that time and space to heal, to focus on yourself, to see all the things in life that are important outside of your career. We don't get that opportunity often. So almost treat it like a gap year of sorts. Like this is your time to really like see and explore the rest of life outside of medicine. Like the world is still your oyster. Uh, One anecdote, for example. Um, One of the things that really broke my heart was when I was fired from my position of being uh, an orientation leader. Or, well, so I just wasn't hired, I guess. You weren't fired. (laughs) Well, for the sake of the story. They did not rehire you. They just did not hire me. It felt like a firing, though, because it was kind of guaranteed. Yeah, you were pretty dramatic. No, no, no. No, it, it really was. like It was, like, pretty guaranteed. Like, everyone got it except for me. Can you just let me say that I'm fired? Yeah, you're, I guess you're Thank fired. Thank you. So, okay, so basically, yeah, long story short, I was fired. I was devastated. All of my friends were moving into, like, orientation, and they got to be orientation leaders, and I sat at home being like, ugh, I'm the only one that's left out. Why me? Blah, blah, blah. And the thing is, that summer was a really great summer because while I was really hurt about that rejection, it gave me the space and opportunity every day to kind of like think about what heals me, what makes me feel better. I was just out of my first year of pharmacy school and really burnt out. So the thing that healed me was doing arts and crafts and working with my hands and things like that. And that's really when the wheels started turning in my head as to, oh, I wish that there was a job in healthcare that was like arts and crafts, but it could like help make people feel better. And that's when the wheels started turning of like, maybe pharmacy is not right for me. Maybe I should be pursuing something like dentistry. And I mean, you guys know the story, the rest is history, but the thing is, had I not faced that closed door, that rejection of that summer, and had I not had that limbo time, that kind of free time to think about what I really want from life, I think I would have spiraled down this, like, or like experienced the tunnel vision of pharmacy school. And I don't think, if, if I didn't have that opportunity to think about what I really want and give myself that space to just be, I wouldn't have made the decision to go down dentistry. I really don't know where I would be today if I hadn't let myself explore those thoughts and feelings. So don't see being on the wait list as a punishment. I know that the limbo can be very anxiety-ridden and can be difficult, but it can honestly be an opportunity and like a lot of time for like self-discovery and making yourself better too. So yeah, it's, it's definitely an opportunity and I wouldn't give up hope. I think you have so many great things ahead. So don't fret. You have great things coming. You'll you are be okay. enough. You are enough with or without med school and use this time to, you know, really solidify why and like to get to know yourself. Yeah. yeah. I think it's important to just not beat yourself up for being on the wait list because it's not your fault that other people, you know, too many people applied that year or something. You it's know not I mean? your fault that someone's dad is on the board, you well, know? Yeah. Like, there's that. There's things. It, it, yeah. These programs are super competitive. Uh, so that doesn't make you less than. It just means that there were so many people that applied. Yeah. And the thing is, whatever happens, it is taking you on the path you were meant to go down. Mm-hmm. You know, like, yeah, 
a lot of things, like I just said, the story I just shared, rejection hurts. Things hurt, but just because they hurt doesn't mean it's not right for us. A lot of times our hurt, our rejection, those closed doors, those are things that are channeling us onto the right path that we're meant to be on. So really like trust that process. Yeah. Like I applied for another job last year that I didn't get. Yeah. And, I forgot about that. And that was like the first time like that I went out for something like that, that I ended up not getting it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was like kind of hard. And then it makes you feel like you're stuck where you're at and like there's no way you're gonna be able to find another job if like other so it like these things are gonna ha- might happen later on in people's yeah. careers too and maybe you'll find a way that helps you stand out from the pack you know that time that you spend not being in med school might allow you to develop into the person that's gonna do really well when they are in med school totally I used to think too, I used to be like, man, I wish I like didn't go down the pharmacy route because then I'd be so much like younger and I could have pursued this earlier. You couldn't, I don't think it would have happened. Yeah, looking back, I would have not been ready. The person who I was before, like me without going through pharmacy school could not made it through dental school. You were, you I, like, were barely ready during yeah. dental school. No, yeah, like that's a whole other thing. And then also, I mean, like my timeline, like a lot of great things happened from my timeline. I met all of my best friends in dental school because we were in the same class. Had I been a different class, I wouldn't have these stories, these memories, these relationships. Um, also, my 0% interest during school was really nice. COVID yeah, very convenient timing. On the, it's just, on yeah, the time. Interest. trust your timing. Trust your timing. It is meant for you. Did you get wasted anywhere uh, back um, in the day? No, I just got straight up rejected by a bunch of places. Nice. <laughs> Harvard, Buffalo, Temple. Yeah. So, so, UConn. Uh, yeah. I remember all of these places. But you know what? I'm glad my path ended up. And you know what? Speaking of timing, I'm glad I went to pharmacy school because that's where I met you. And maybe I was meant to go to pharmacy school to meet you. Yeah. I mean, we met when you were still a sophomore. You could have I really could have. Yeah. I don't know why I did. But anyways, <laughs> on that note, I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. I hope you guys found this helpful. If you liked what you heard, please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Jimmy, share your spiel. Share your spiel. What we am I need saying? In the arms of, of an angel. angel. For just 25 we cents a day. Review. <laughs> so leave a review. In the arms Thank you. Of leave a review so Jimmy can stop singing. Uh, just a quick Also a rating on Spotify. For you. Thank you guys. We'll see you guys in next week. The arms. Bye. <laughs>